0: Blog Talk Radio. Day, January the twenty second, twenty fifteen. Had to pause for a moment there, switch from twenty fourteen to twenty fifteen. I don't know if you're still having that problem, but occasionally I slip up. Uh, nonetheless, welcome you to the show. Uh, over the coming weeks, I will be doing what you could call a series of informal, off-the-cuff interviews with a number of executives and experts from what you'd say are various areas of the procurement world regarding what I would consider to be the three most important questions in our industry for 2015. And at least that that's what I'm thinking. And uh, before we get to today's guest, which is Alan Vega, who is Vice President of LA Sourcing Services, I just want to remind you that while we are broadcasting live over these virtual airwaves of the Blog Talk Radio Network, the entire program is being recorded which means that if you can't tune in now, that's not a problem because you can tune in at your convenience on an on-demand basis. Again, this is just one of the great, great features of Internet radio, in particular, blog talk radio. Now, let's get to the discussion at hand. After all, it is off the cuff, and I welcome to the show Alan Veek. Uh, Alan, how are you today? Hey, good morning, John. I'm doing fine. How are you? I am. I. You know what? I'm warming up. I don't know what it's like in your part of the world, but here we're, we're, we went from uh, Christmas with no snow, which was unusual, to now uh, shooing away penguins from our driveway.
1: Well, we've got uh, a perfect zero degrees Celsius. I'll convert it for you uh, for your neighbors up north. Zero degrees Celsius, but uh, very little snow, which is uh, eh, it's about it's about average for this time of year in Pittsburgh.
0: Now, now you see, just to to give away my age, I, I grew up on the imperial system, much like you. I believe that that's 32 Fahrenheit. I still haven't, you know that's what, Celsius or whatever else, you know, I, I, I still haven't <laughs> made the transition over despite all the uh, midstream education switching in my uh, elementary school years back in the 60s. But that's another story. Nonetheless, you know, <laughs> and as you can tell, we're already off the cuff. But you know what, Alan, one of the things that was interesting and, and uh, about your organization, one of the reasons why I thought it'd be ideal to to launch this this informal discussion with you is because of the work that you've done at Denali over the years. And uh, the the variety of of client challenges and uh, requirements that you've obviously uh, met or or attempted to, to to provide in the way of services to to your end users, which which, which uh, is, is important to consider, because the the three areas we're going to focus on today require that kind of depth of industry experience. Let me ask you this, and right out of the gate, Robert Hanfield, who I'm sure you know uh, or have heard about came up with a new book called Procurement's Value Proposition. And what he talked about was the generational gap, and that is the gap between those old pros, procurement professionals, and the new up-and-coming generation and his suggestion. And and I'll use the words definitive and definite chasm between the generations Mm -hmm. of yesterday and today, meaning that there is nothing that the upcoming generation – can learn from the previous generation. In other words, the market has changed, the the roles, the functions have changed so so dramatically not just within the procurement realms, but also in other areas of a business which is the the CIOs, the CFOs, uh, etc. What are your thoughts when you hear that? Based on your experience.
1: Yeah, so you know, I I would say I have seen that firsthand. Uh, across the course of the last 15 or 20 years, which is when I've been in involved in procurement, I've definitely seen that firsthand. I've I've witnessed coming from a time when I think we referred to what we did to our profession as purchasing. Uh, and then some confusion about okay well what are these other terms procurement or supply chain what what do those mean and how are they different from purchasing um and you know so so not just kind of a mindset shift and a skill set shift but also even the way that we talk about what we do and I, and I think the way that we talk about what we do is an indicator that we're basically um, we're basically elevating the function. When Whenever we used to talk about purchasing, I think what comes to mind for everybody is almost like an accounting um, uh, image of somebody with uh, rolled up sleeves and in the, in the green eye shade, uh, you know, really kind of pushing paper across the desk. Here comes another PO. Okay, what do we have to do to make sure that these goods get delivered to that department? Um, a, really a very tactical execution focused paper pushing non strategic function and what's happened in the last 20 years as we've started to use uh, new terms to describe what we do namely procurement is really more of a of a hint at how we're becoming more strategic and i don't want to paint this as complete nirvana i don't think we've arrived yet uh, i think that we're in the process of of undergoing our transformation as a matter of fact i i think that when i when i w- was involved in in procurement early on in my early days, I thought, you know, I kind of rubbed my hands together saying, well, here comes the revolution. I I love to love to partake in the revolution when when in actuality, what I've found now 20 years later is there isn't any revolution. It's all about evolution. So we're still very much in an evolutionary stage getting toward that point where we all want to be, which is a much more strategic function focused on, uh, right on what, uh, uh, what Robert identified, which is, is, getting to a strategic value proposition. Procurement can be amazingly, amazingly important. It can be a huge lever for organizational performance, but most companies don't realize that and don't take advantage of it because they still have this mindset of us as the purchasing function where we're just pushing paper and being tactical. Okay, so here's the thing, though,
0: and and here's the thing, because what you're really talking about is that move from semantical uh, terminology such as the difference between purchasing and procurement to to a definitive uh, call it an evolution. Uh, where does that leave the traditional? Let's call them the traditional buyers or, or, or purchasing professionals. I mean, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't have statistics in terms of what, uh, what, what, what degree of age they make up, although there are some reports uh, saying that 70% of procurement professionals in 2013 are 45 years or older, which certainly wouldn't represent the generation next. But where does that leave them? <laughs> I mean, because, it, number one, if they have no viable information to transition to the next generation uh, and, and, and the, the, the whole role has been redefined, do they have to force themselves at later stage of their career to relearn something, or, or as as, as it was suggested by by an IACCM, uh, uh, some, uh, Tim Cummins, who said in Aberdeen, they said forty seven percent of procurement professionals today will be redundant within the next year or two. I mean, is 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 this basically <laughs> the end of the line? The, the, the meteor strikes the earth, the dinosaurs, and I'm I'm probably going to be including one of those, are are done. And this new generation is just going to emerge completely different. I mean, is there nothing that could be handed over or transitioned over from one generation to the next?
1: Yeah, so so that yeah, there are many parts to that question that I can answer. First of all, what I would begin by saying is there is always going to be some degree of transactional, executional work that takes place inside procurement. So, the, I think of I think of the three um, the three elements of work that need to be done in. In procurement, I think at the highest level you've got to have some strategic work that's done. So this happens at the leadership level. So people who are chief purchasing officers, chief procurement officers, people who are uh, vice presidents, directors of indirect materials or direct materials. Uh, I think in this group certainly you'd put it put the new era category managers into that group. You've got the people who manage who might have in their title strategic sourcing. There's a strategic function. Number one. <clears throat> number two. There's very much a transactional or executional role in procurement. So this uh, is a lot more along the lines of of things that have to be done, but you you can't put them in the third bucket, which I'm I'm getting to, which is the automated bucket. So, you know, new elements of of e-commerce, new elements of technology that allow you to just completely Automate certain functions, go into this last third bucket. That's the most transactional of all. So I think that, in essence, for you know what what you were asking in your question around what happens to the people who aren't able to upgrade their skills, perhaps to get to bucket number one, the strategic bucket. I think that there's always room for a bucket number two where you have to have people doing work. The problem that we're looking at today is a lot of those jobs don't necessarily need to sit. In high-cost countries, right? So a lot of companies are pushing those to to low-cost countries. You know, the favorite, favorites being parts of Asia, parts of India, you know, all all of all other parts of the world. Uh, so I don't think that there's necessarily no place for these people. It's just a harder place. It's a smaller. It becomes a smaller, a smaller place for for them to find uh, where they need to sit. Now, I would also say I don't necessarily view it. Quite as as bleak as maybe some of the quotes you were pulling out, or how some other people see it. Because with the clients that we're working with, what I'm finding more and more is that while it's hard for some people to transition into bucket number one to become truly strategic, it's not impossible. And we've spent a lot of time at Denali really building out a program for that, that involves basic blocking and tackling elements like uh, like training but it inv- it also gets into a little bit more of a new way of thinking about Changing behaviors, which is really about motivation, and about providing coaching and providing ways to help people get over that hump, get over that that activation barrier, so they can become really strategic. And we've seen uh, at several of our clients where we're implementing this, and we and we're doing it largely in the function of category management. We're finding that we're having some pretty good results. Not uh, you don't get everybody to full bright, but what you do is you 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 find as, as you look at uh, category management function across a company, you'll find that you've got basically three groups of people. You've got people who are doing strategic category management today. Call that maybe something like 10% of the category managers. Uh, then you've got a large middle group of people that might make up something more like 70 or 80% of the, of the category management team. These people who are doing some degree of strategic category management or have a desire to do some degree but don't necessarily know what to do. You've got to provide them some training. You've got to provide them some information and some coaching. Then, like in any good distribution, you've got kind of the tail, which is some people who just don't. Plain don't have the skill sets or the desire to develop the skill set to be a strategic category manager sitting down at the end. That might be 10 or 20 percent of an organization. So the job of a good strategic CPO today is to is to figure out what to do with that bottom end of the distribution. So can we put this 20% of people into, can we repurpose them in other roles? Can we give them roles that better fit what their skill set is? Or do we have to transition them out of the organization? Then you have to focus on this middle group, the biggest, the biggest hump, right? And figure out, okay, what can I do to get these people above the bar, so that they're strategic in their function. And then you got to reward and make sure you retain and support that top piece, your your biggest strategic performers and make them the leaders of your entire team. So there's a there is a there's a big shift happening today for sure, but I maybe I'm not quite as bleak as as some others might be about uh about how it's how it's turning out.
0: Now, you, you know, we're to you see you've created a perfect segue into the next question about technology and the emergence of e commerce, mobile supply chain. But one of the things that's kind of interesting is that are some of these people going to feel left behind or, or somehow cheated in the fact that, let's face it, the perception regarding the role of purchasing or procurement has evolved. And the, the, the older generation, let's call them that. We're really doing the job. First of all, many of them didn't choose to be in the profession. They sort of fell into it. That's mm-hmm. changing dramatically right. now. But they were mm-hmm. doing what they were told to do based on the limited uh, scope of, of what the what, what they were expected to do, uh, you know, you know get the mm-hmm. best price, you know, the, the very simplistic elements of this. I mean, th- this has now all changed significantly. Are companies equipped? who themselves are just getting used to the strategic element of, of, of procurement, are they equipped to provide that kind of knowledge and education? Or will that originate with associations who are, who are, who are, who are scrambling to update their curriculums? You know what I'm saying? Is Where is this source mm-hmm. of potential upgrade going to originate? Mm-hmm. Within the company, many of which, again, are, are just themselves getting a handle on this. The associations, again, most who are, are, are going through a major curriculum change. Uh, or is it consulting firms like where where is this where's mm-hmm. the source of this knowledge to equip them to make the uh, the the adaptation to becoming strategic and originate
1: yeah i think it i think it really starts or maybe i should really even say it really started within third party providers so the consultants the uh you know the technology providers the solution providers there's a there's a whole in in the field of procurement we've got a very very healthy third party provider ecosystem that is looking to drive improvement in the way that the procurement function operates and it's been around for quite some time uh it's really has good traction and I think there's a very good relationship between the enterprise Uh, And and these third party providers. So from my own personal experience, the first spot that I did that was in a consulting firm. I was with McKinsey and Company. I was part of the purchasing supply management practice. And in essence, you know, we would go in one off to each enterprise we were working with and help them think about new ways to approach procurement. Um, Then I spent some time, about eight years, at Free Markets. And then after Free Markets was acquired by Ariba, I was at Ariba. So more from the technology side and more from a solutions provider side. Um, And and now I'm, as you mentioned, now I'm with uh, Denali Sourcing Services. So I've been on the third-party provider side, but in a couple of different types of companies, consulting and solution providers and technology providers across the course of my years. And I think it really has started with us, the third-party providers, to get that ignition, to get that spark. But what I've also seen is, like any good uh, physics problem, there's a there's a dispersal. So the people that I was working with in 1999 at free markets, where we were doing some really cutting-edge, brand-new procurement work r- with reverse auctions, that team that I was working with, that at its height was about 2,000 people, but let's call the core of people who were at free markets something like 500 people. It's really interesting to look at where those people have gone, and I think it's very you know. So the dispersal of talent—it's um, uh, it, it's it's almost like when you see in the startup in the technology world, people talking about these family trees of what happened to all the original founders and early team members at PayPal, the PayPal Mafia, how they kind of they infiltrated all these next generation startups that are uh, that are having such success today. I would say it's very much the same. In the procurement world, so I look at my network of friends that I built, colleagues that I built relationships with at that point in time, and the dispersal of that talent is really driving through the enterprise. And and I think that's you know it is a physics problem. In essence, you got to give time for this dispersal to happen. But I, I don't know if, if you're familiar, John, or if you've read uh, uh, either of the books, the the Talent Code. Uh, or talent is overrated those are two separate books but they're almost mirror images of each other because they talk about this problem of how you how you upgrade skills how you take take uh, somebody from one level of performance to another level of performance, and they both have very similar ways of approaching it. One of the important things they talk about is motivation or ignition. And so I think this dispersal of talent from some of the third-party providers into traditional enterprises where these people are showing up as directors or vice presidents or even chief chief procurement officers, that dispersal of talent is really providing the ignition that then is causing – uh, causing not only companies, but also procurement teams to think differently about what's expected of them, about what they need to do to be successful. And I think we're, we're starting to see some of the fruits of that uh, of that right now. So like I said, really, it's all about evolution, not so much about revolution. Uh, so, so hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully we continue to see that growing at an increasing pace.
0: Now, you see, there's another tie-in to the, the t- technology, and, and you know, Gardner came out with a, a term called the postmodern ERP era, and a lot of the people originate, let's say, let's talk about the Ariba and the free markets and, 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 and the, the original tech companies, where many felt within the the scope of their their work, that they had honorable intentions in building the solutions, but as soon as Wall Street and the investment community got involved, uh, they were literally forced into doing things that they themselves did not necessarily think would work. Is this disbursement now giving the the, the opportunity – to to redo for some of these uh, the 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 these former players with these companies you know like you call the PayPal mafia but you know within the realm of the ERP uh, sector uh, or, or group I mean is this now a chance for them to affect change from the customer side based upon the experiences uh,
1: on, on, on let's say the vendor side of the equation. Yeah, I I I think it absolutely does. So maybe it's a natural evolution that you that you see of of more people on the third-party provider side finding their way into the into the you know the various enterprises across across the globe, maybe that's just a very natural evolution that happens as a person matures and they become uh, you know mature in their field and they they get a little bit older they're looking for a little bit more stability. I know that certainly from my own point of view I've I've been on the third-party provider side my entire life, but there certainly have been points in time when I've had. Choices about what I'm going to do next with my career, where I've I've thought I've I've kind of arrived at um, at a at a decision. Do I want to continue to drive change in the procurement arena on the third-party provider side, where you maybe have a little smaller lever of influence, but you've got a bigger lever of creativity. So you're allowed to do a little bit more of the way you think it should be done, but it's harder to convince others to go your way. Or should I? Take the other road, right? Should I should I jump into the enterprise? Should I take a, a VP spot in a in a large blue chip, you know, twenty billion dollar revenue plus company, where y- you have a little bit less ability to be creative in what you do, but that's okay because there's plenty to do that's in the quote unquote not so creative. I mean, stuff that's been done in the last 20 years still hasn't necessarily made it out there uh, to the to the big enterprises, but you do have a much bigger lever arm in ter- in terms of driving influence you you have that 20 billion dollars of spend of, of goods and services spend that you can you can apply good principles against so yeah i do think i do think we're starting to see that dispersal happening and uh and those good practices finding their way into the biggest companies uh and it's an exciting an exciting transition to see
0: Certainly, an opportunity for redemption in some cases. Now, let me ask you this about the technology, because technology has changed. We are no longer dealing with these overarching, multi year. Uh, progressively painful exercises of implementation. What we're going to now is we're dealing with e-commerce. We're dealing with the blurring the lines between B2B and B2C. We're dealing with the mobile supply chain, wearable technology, and all the factors that are coming into play here. Uh, And the demand for, on the part of, let's say, those in in procurement, saying, I want the same experience at work that I get at home when I buy something. I mean, is that... A, a, a part of the element to which you referred to that outsourcing. Or, or or low cost country uh, sourcing element of where technology may it may it, may, be, it may, may not be a geographic location but a technological location because one person can now do the same work as five people i mean is that part of is that part of the evolution of the technology where now it can be implemented within a matter of days or weeks as opposed to years it's not complicated and more and more people are connected i mean is that part of the is that part of the thinning of the herd uh, type of factor or effect
1: yeah, it, it certainly is. So one of the one of the things that I've seen uh, address this question that you just asked is really, uh, and this is within the last five years, a really strong focus on thinking about uh, th- thinking about procurement being a customer service function. So it it isn't as much about it just being another department that pushes paper around, but it really becomes the notion of of almost like uh, an external entity that's providing customer support to the to the enterprise to the to the budget holders who actually have to spend money to say hey i 'm here as your think of me as your procurement concierge your shopping concierge i 'm going to make this a pleasant experience for you i'm a I'm a procurement professional so i 'm going to take your budget and i'm going to ask you Uh, a a small set of questions to really understand what you're trying to accomplish, then I'm going to go out and do the legwork and involve you in the right strategic steps so that we make sure that we deliver to you, the budget holder, to you, the stakeholder at the end, exactly that thing you were quote unquote shopping for, right? That thing that you were out to procure. Uh, And we're going to make this as seamless and easy as possible. We're going to put it in your terms. We're going to use your language. We're going to deliver it on your timescale so that You'll willingly want to come back and bring your procurement dollars, your spend dollars back to us. We don't have to go out and pull teeth to get it, right? You you're gonna you're gonna happily let us let us drive the process for you because this is where it should be. It should should reside with the procurement professionals. So I think there is a big move to do that. Technology is a big piece behind it. Um, resources are a big piece behind it. So that's a large reason why there's a push to go to low cost countries, because in most procurement functions, you actually can't uh, thin out the number of resources that you use. You need more. You, you need additional bodies. You need additional people to, to do the good work of procurement. However, it's expensive to add those resources. That's why most companies don't do it. So you have to look at a whole different model, and that involves looking at uh, cheaper places where you can get the people, and you can make sure they follow a good process and provide that high level of customer experience that uh, that an enterprise is looking for. So I would say. It's this notion of a new operating model for procurement that's really causing a lot of the disruption. And we're seeing it in spots where big companies are coming forward and saying, we don't believe we do procurement well, we don't believe it's a core competency for us, and we don't believe that we have the time or the money or the inclination to develop it into a core competency for us. So we're going to take this whole piece that we call procurement – So oftentimes it's referred to as source to pay. And we're going to hand it off to a third-party provider, a big outsourcing. It's looking looking just like a lot of the IT outsourcing and HR outsourcing that's happened, a lot of the BPO that's happened over the course of the last 20 or 30 years. You're now seeing that world of outsourcing. Hitting and intersecting with the world of procurement and it's it 's actually quite interesting to see we 've got um, multiple clients that have done this with us that have given us every piece of their procurement and asked us to do it and What we do when we when we encounter that situation is we we absolutely install a new operating model that involves leveraging uh, low cost countries and 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 labor arbitrage. But it largely involves a lot more of this focus on separating the strategic from the tactical so that you can make sure that you're doing the right things, not just more of the of the wrong things that, that I think is characterized old-school procurement.
0: So in essence, and, and then this will lead in the next question in terms of public versus private sector, but in essence, what you're doing is removing distracting noise levels of the functional elements of procurement, outsourcing those so that you give your organization the, the, the resources and the time it needs to focus on the more strategic aspects of, of, of the procurement practice.
1: Yep. I mean, is that a safe that's, way to put it? That's that's absolutely the right way to put it. When I'm talking to, to prospects about this, I refer to it as what we all learned in second-grade social studies, which is the advancement of civilization happened with several things, but most notably with the division of labor. Uh, so that's all this is is old-fashioned division of labor where you're saying, rather than taking our smart resources and making them do a bunch of dumb things, so doing a bunch of tactical things, let's, let's divide the labor and let's give to the machine what belongs to the machine. Let's automate it. Let's give to low-cost countries who can manage simple processes. Let's give them the tactical work, and then let's take our most – Uh, highly trained and able resources and let's give them the strategic work and only the strategic work so that they're focused on doing that most important work. So it's just, it's just old fashioned division of labor. And we learned that when you divide labor, the overall economy, the overall culture becomes more efficient, more productive. And that's what we're seeing in our clients where we, where we affect this sort of division of labor. Now, is this going to be an obstacle to this evolution that, that you call it
0: in the public sector? Because obviously uh you know without without getting into the how public and public uh, or, or public and private sector procurement is different i mean the reality mm-hmm. is is that you're not going to see governments necessarily outsource procurement practice i mean one of the biggest challenges whenever initiatives have been launched is the fear of jobs and the strength of the public uh, workforce and the the unions involved with that i mean it does does the public sector have a different track because of the fact that they are not going to likely outsource these functions uh, to to the future than the private sector.
1: Yeah, they do. I, I would I would maybe I wouldn't characterize it as much of a different track as I would say as a different timeline, because I think they I think. They will. The public sector will, will also follow the same path. They'll just do it a lot more slowly. They'll take their steps a lot more slowly. For all those reasons uh, that you highlighted, and you know, we we certainly saw it on the adoption of basic e-sourcing technologies. It happened first in the you know in the private sector, uh, and then it then it kind of came ten years later to the public sector in a in a big way. Um, so it, it's it 's going to be the same thing with this the The private sector is definitely going to lead the way they have uh, much more accountability they have much more uh, focus on driving this bottom line performance unfortunately than the public entities do but that 's just the way that the world works uh, eventually the public uh, the public sector will get there as well and so what i w- you know it 's interesting if you characterize it you look at uh, you look at what 's What's the state of the art in the public sector today? A lot of the e, uh, e sourcing, e supply chain, e commerce technologies are, are really just starting to, to kind of hit their prime in the public sector, but you still actually have the, 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 the predominant model of third party service provision in the public sector is largely these group purchasing organizations where they all just kind of try and get together and buy things together. So, you know, a great example this time of year is road salt. Everybody, you know, 37 counties come together and they all agree that they're going to buy road salt from uh, from from Cargill at the, uh, as a big entity so they have greater buying power. Uh, those sorts of things are state of the art in the in the public sector where I would where where we would certainly say in the private sector those have largely come and gone and and have and have been realized as being less effective than just doing good strategic sourcing good strategic procurement on your own
0: so in essence what you're saying is is inevitably both the public and private sector will end up in the same place the difference is is that the public sector route will be
1: more circuit what what would you say more more elongated yeah, more elong more elongated through time. It's it's uh, it, it, the the great analogy there would be. So I I went to graduate school out in uh, out in California. I was in in Northern California, so I lived there for about six years. And then to get back closer to family, when when we, when my wife and I started having a family, we moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And it, I hadn't lived in Pittsburgh before, but I moved in and got to know several people. And and everybody said, you know, as I as I got to know the new town, I would ask them, you know, where are the nice restaurants? Where's, where's this? Where's that? Where are, the new, where are the new things that I'm used to having out in California? And everybody said, oh, just wait 15 years. It'll get here. <laughs> he said, so there's basically this diffusion problem, back to the diffusion, the physics diffusion problem. There's the diffusion problem. It, it takes about 15 years for the neat things that happen out on the West Coast first or maybe happen perhaps in the big cities first for them to make their way to the medium-sized cities. And it's, it's the same between private and public. I think eventually those good procurement practices will hit the public sector. It's just going to take uh, perhaps even longer than 15 years for them to get there because there has to be a drive of accountability from the people who are the quote-unquote bosses of the public sector, which are the voters. And, you know, so there's going to be a, a need for that demand to drive strategic procurement and to get the results that come from that in the public sector.
0: All right, so so, so the end result is ultimately that there is a generational shift, but it's not revolutionary, it's evolutionary. And while uh, technology still has a role to play in certainly facilitating some of the transition uh, between the functional and the strategic, or the divide between the two, uh, ultimately, regardless of whether or not you're in a public or private uh, pri- the role is procurement. We're all going to ultimately end up being strategic, thinned her down, and strategic in what we do. I mean, is that the best way to sum it up, right across the board?
1: Yep, I really, I really think it is. And and what I would, what I would, uh, the the way the way that I would analogize that very good summary that you just gave, is by saying, look outside. How many uh, horse-drawn wagons do you see? But if you looked 100 years ago, you might see that there were a few more. There are some don't quite come along with the new technology. But I think throughout the course of the millennia that, that uh, all of us have experienced, uh, when new technologies, when new functions and new capabilities come along, eventually everybody adopts it because it's a approved, winning way to, to advance. Uh, and the same, the same is true in our little humble corner of procurement where, uh, where all of these things, too, will come to pass. Uh, you just got to kind of wait for the evolution to happen.
0: All right, now you know what in the in in the final minute or so, we've run a little overtime, but again, this is off the cuff and easy going, so uh, uh, listeners, I'm sure you'll enjoy the extra added uh, coverage. Those are the three things that I consider to be the critical questions for 2015. But I would be less of a gracious host if I didn't turn around and say, what would you consider beyond these three points to be something we should look for in the world of procurement?
1: Yeah, that's um, that's a really that's a really good question. I don't know if I've put enough of my hands on the crystal ball yet for 2015. I, I I would say I think that what I'm excited most about seeing, and and I think we're going to see more of it, is as the economy becomes more demanding. I, I don't believe we're moving into a spot where the global economy is going to become a lot better. Everything I'm reading says that the global global economy is still going to be growing at a pretty slow rate, uh, which means there's going to be increasing Pressure on uh, on companies to to improve in new ways. They're going to have to look to new functions within the enterprise to to drive performance. So that pressure that's going to be sitting on the CEO's head is going to be pushed down to to the CEO's uh, direct reports and the CPO is eventually going to be feeling that pressure. And what I really like to see is this uh, is this intersection between the pressure showing up on the CPO, but then also some of that uh, uh, dispersal of the knowledge. So now, now not only does a CPO feel the pressure to do something, a CPO has at their disposal a set of tools they can use to drive procurement performance, so it's when those two things come together that we're going to see great performance, and I, I, I hope we see it in 2015. I think we're going to probably see more of it in 2015. You're, we're seeing it in the in the clients that we're talking to. There's a, an increasing appetite to make procurement better, uh, and so I think I'm I'm hoping we're going to see a little bit of a breaking of that wave happen in 2015.
0: Well, Alan Vague, I have to tell you I very much enjoyed talking with you, and. Uh, posing these questions to you, because I think 2015 is going to be a year of of, of, of significant change. I think it's going to be a year we're going to reflect back on uh, looking ahead in in the coming years and say this was a turning point for the profession. And I just thank you for taking the time to sharing your perspectives on these questions.
1: More than happy to, John. Always a pleasure to talk to you and and your listeners, and glad that you, you had me on today. Thank you very much. And to you, of course, listening audience, thank you
0: for sharing what is one of your most important assets—is your time. Uh, again, stay tuned for upcoming segments of this. Let's call it procurement unplugged. That's what we titled it. The three most important questions for 2015, uh, as we take this journey in in what will be, as I uh, just alluded to with uh, with Alan, uh, a, a year of great change, and uh, I don't I don't think we'll know the significance of it. Uh, in the immediate future, but I think in coming years, we'll look back on 2015 as as being, being a turning point for the profession. Until we come at you over these same virtual airwaves again, as always, I remain your host, John Hansen. Have a good week. Bye for now.